Well, this morning is part two, or today is part two of our series on relationships. Last week, we began with the first in kind of a baseline, a starting point for us in relationships, although this week we could as well. And we talked about how true friendship, and this goes across, so I'm speaking of relationships, marital relationships, partner relationships, romantic ones, but also friendship, begins not with the fun that we'll have together or the time that we spend, but it truly is founded in our ability to be open and honest with each other. We talked a little bit about that 10%, you know, the 10% of your life that no one else gets kind of into that area of your life, opening up that 10% with someone that you're close to and being vulnerable and being honest and bearing our burdens, we talked about. Bearing our burdens is the tr- a true deep friendship that will abide in us. And so I hope that you've been praying over how, who you might be bearing burdens alongside and how you might be doing that. Well, this week is, in, is important to bearing burdens because this week we're using what is the quintessential marriage scripture, right? You know, I mean, how many weddings have you been to where this hasn't been read? I think I can count those on my two hands. I've done a lot of weddings, right? And so this is the scripture that couples often choose whenever. It's beautiful, right? The greatest of these is love. love. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It persists, and it's patient, and it's kind, and it is exactly what we have and we're ready for when we go into marriage, right? We, we know every Everything about that sort of love, standing at the altar or wherever that altar might be in the world with the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with. If only it was as easy as the Disney movies uh, portray love to be at times, right? That happily ever after will just magically happen and appear. Because the thing is, is that those of you who have been in any sort of deep meaning of that, like 10%, the bearing burden sort of friendship and relationship, know that love is not just all the words that the Apostle Paul just says easily. It is all those things, but it takes work. It takes work. And I tell you what. I have learned that in my own life journey, and my wife will fully disclose this to you in a conversation because she is often able to share and do the things that our first year of marriage was our hardest year together because we were learning what it meant to bear each other's burdens together. And it was not, I think we read this scripture though at our wedding, but it was not all the things that Paul had talked about. It came with arguments and tension and difficulties that we were learning to manage life together around. And then fast forward, I wish I would have done this before I, I, we had gotten married, although we were working at the uh, Duke Cap Center to do premarital counseling and then even counseling into our first year of marriage because it's just so invaluable. But fast forward to when I was a pastor at Duke, I re- a pastor at Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, right in that area, um, I I realized one of the things that we were missing at that first year of relationships, that first year that could have helped us, and that's an understanding of myself. Because that's the thing about when relationships conflict with each other. It is so easy, right, just to think about 
the other and what they're doing wrong in the situation, right? They didn't do the dishes right, or, you know, I can't believe that they don't have more patience with the kids, or they're spending too much time on work, or you are the problem. But often what ends up happening when you take a look is you're looking in the mirror, right? And you do the work on yourself, and you realize your relationship has changed a little bit. Well, so in North Carolina, I was a pastor amongst three other pastors at this large church, downtown Chapel Hill, right? It's where everyone wants to get married, you know? It was between us and the Presbyterian Church across the street, because we both had the big chapels downtown in Chapel Hill, right? And so because we have so many weddings at these churches, um, and we only had so much time that we were able to spend in, you know, premarital kind of meetings, we just required anyone, if you're going to get married in our building, then you have to take this weekend intensive premarital counseling immersion experience. And we had the gift at University UMC at, at that church, not just to have our pastoral team and the Presbyterian pastoral team that partnered together, but one of our church members was the head of UNC's psychology department and their counseling office. He actually even got commissioned by uh, the UK to do premarital counseling all throughout the country. And so he was leading that initiative, but he developed alongside the pastoral team at these churches this weekend experience called Boost. And so we would go over a number of different sessions and we would give them time to relate to each other. And I got asked, to speak on one of the sections called communicating together as a couple. And, and I think one of the reasons is because we, as we were like planning, you know, we talk about our own experiences and our own growth. And this was the, the thing that was missing the most in our first year of marriage. And this is what I like to call leveling and editing. And not just I like to call, people call leveling and editing. This is how you relate to each other specifically around a problem. So if you are the type of person that sees a problem at hand, you know, whether it's what kind of car you're going to buy or what's the next career step or whether it's, you know, you're angry with each other and you're the, you know, like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. What's bothering you? Come on. What did we do wrong? How do we communicate, right? You're going to jump in, problem solve, try to figure it out because you want a resolution. Well, you're what they call an editor. You know, you get out your red pen and you start going to town on that document and try to fix the problem, correct it, so that you can get on and move about your healthy dynamics within your relationships. If that stresses you out at all, like the intensity of me just asking you what's wrong, how do we fix this, you might be the opposite side of that, which is called a leveler. And so they're the persons that, you know, like kind of the water goes in and they just, you know, let it kind of, kind of go out, like the level out a little bit. And so like, you know, the rock goes into the water and they wait for a little bit of time. You just wait, let things level out, and then you're going to go at it. Perhaps if a conflict arises in your household or amongst a friend, you're the person that says, hey, let's just come back to this a little bit later, or you just get really quiet and you just don't want to, you know, blow up or whatever the feelings that you have. You're just going to think about it. You're going to process it. Well, 
my wife and I, we came to realize quite quickly that we were opposites on that spectrum, right? And so we got into disagreements in our first year of marriage that, you know, when we would just, I would come and I'd be like, okay, let's fix the problem. Let's like, try to work it out. And she would just be quiet and, you know, try to just like, let's come back at this later. And I'd be like, why don't you want to engage? And she would be like, why do you keep pestering me, right? And then after me kind of poking and prodding enough to get to a resolution, it would then spiral into something that was now a, a bigger conflict than it needed to be all over how we did the dishes or, you know, the, you know, the toothpaste. And that's why we joke about that at weddings, because something so easy and so simple as, you know, who's going to cook or go to the grocery store, if you're not self-aware as to how you're engaging in something like that, you could spiral in a relationship out of control to the point where both of you leave the house upset and angry, slamming the doors behind you. And so what we learned is that we had to be aware of ourselves in the context of that relationship. So this idea that the Apostle Paul talks about of love, being patient, being kind, begins first with this self-awareness of how I'm engaging in this relationship, in this thing called love. Because as I was aware that I get anxious when there's a problem not being solved, I was allowing then in that moment to feel my anxiety, to know that our relationship is going to be okay even if we wait an hour to talk about this, <laughs> right? And for my wife knowing that she would eventually come back to talk about it. Because both ways of engaging in conflict or disagreement are okay, but both ways can lead to problems if not self-aware. The editor with the red pen can come in and just keep poking and prodding someone until they boil up and just can't handle the intensity any longer. Where the leveler at the same time, can have a tendency to, you know, sleep on it and then sleep on it again and then, you know, kind of put it under the carpet and forget about it until it happens again and then you might be resentful, right? You get the feeling. And so there's relationships where two people like that need to learn to sit down and to talk about it. And then you have the other end, if you have two editors, you need to learn just to, like, hold on a second, because you're both going to go at this work and going to drive each other nuts. Or as my wife and I learned, we had to find a balance, this, dan this dance. We had to think of, of cues, like practical things in a relationship that helped foster meaningful dialogue. And so something as simple as me learning to be self-aware that I wanted to jump in and tackle the problem, and then saying to my wife, how much time do you need, right? And then us saying, you know, an hour or, you know, or two days from now, and I'll say, well, that's too long. I'm not going to wait two days. I can't do that, right? So let's come back tonight and we'll talk about it. But even giving a deadline for our relationship was a cue that we learned that would allow us, me to have the security and that sort of freedom to know that we're going to talk about this and my wife to have that space to know I can think about this. I can process my emotions. I can get to a place where I feel capable of engaging in this relationship again, 
or not engaging in the relationship, but engaging in this conflict or this conversation or whatever it is. And it seems counterintuitive because our tendency is to think about the other needing to fix the situation, right? It's just so easy to think about that, but if we patiently do that inner work in ourselves, we might find a deeper way to love. One of the things I love about being, uh, a, well, about being a pastor is that I go back to ancient stories, go back to ancient stories. And one of, the, one of the things I've learned as I've explored all sorts of thinkers and theologians and all sorts of people, life hasn't changed as much as we, it has changed drastically, but it hasn't changed as much as we think. And so I found myself preparing for the sermon this week with two thinkers in mind. One was Aristotle, who is before Jesus, right? You know, like Aristotle a long time ago. And the other was a, a theologian called Thomas Aquinas, who was right around the uh, 11th century. I mean, that's a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago. And yet both of which are informing the ways in which we can talk about love and, and providing meaningful content for us. Sure, there, and so Thomas Aquinas, using Aristotle, talks about love being rooted first in this thing called self-love. That all of love is rooted first in self-love. And, and I know that one of the trends now amongst uh, people my age, and especially you'll see on you know, social media, would be like, it's self-care day, and it's a picture of getting nails done in the spa or whatever it is, and, or taking a time just at a beach, and people will talk about the self-care. And self-care is so important in those ways, you know, to refresh and to reset. Although Aquinas talks about how self-care is more than just that, because self-care done in just ways that feed myself also can become something that is quite toxic, which is, you know, self-centeredness or arrogance or it's just about me. And so Aquinas talks about how self-love leads us to love ourselves and see ourselves as loved and to go into a relationship with the other and to see those same desires within them. That we truly cannot love the other until we see ourselves in them. And what, I'm, what he meant by that is seeing them as people that also are desiring this sort of self-love and to feel the goodness that God has for us. And so he would come into a relationship or he invites us into relationships where we're aware of ourselves and of the needs of the other to feel love as well in their self right? In their self. And, it, and if you think about that for a moment, I, I know it's, it's kind of convoluted and all theology, philosophy, but if you think about that, I think that so much conflict interpersonally and relational dynamics and then macro level could be alleviated if we viewed each other in that way. It is my fervent commitment that no, or belief that no one wakes up in the morning, no one, period, in all of history, has woken up in the morning and thought to themselves, how will I be evil today, right? I just don't think that that's, I mean, deep down, maybe that's like what they're cognitively thinking in the moment or something, but deep down, when people, that, that what drives them and the desires of their hearts is out of some sense of good or well-meaning intention 
gone probably awry at some point, you know? And I think that Aquinas is on to something with this desire for self-love, to feel whole and loved in myself, and to wake up in the morning with those aspirations. And if we see that in ourselves, and we see the reality that that self-love is good, but also can be twisted within ourselves and kind of go awry. We can be thinking too much of ourselves or not thinking enough. And then we see that in someone else, that same desire. It puts us on this sort of mutual playing field, right? Where they're no longer a bad boss or the angry coworker or, you know, the person that you just can't get along with. There's someone who woke up just like you with this desire, right, that they have. And as you see that in someone, you can now relate more closely to that person. And this is so pivotal for marriage, relationships, close friendships, especially as they hit hard places. Because one of the things that I have learned to do in some, I'm not a counselor, but in some pastoral counseling education that I do have, is when couples kind of get in uh, this moment of division is to lead with your desire for a moment. So to say something like, I'm speaking this out of a love for you. I want you to know I love you, right? If you start with that desire, you name it right up from the front. And you would be surprised in pastoral counseling moments with couples how when they're able to say those words to each other, that they realize all of their division, you know, like the, the way that they're arguing, the things that they're doing are driven at some kernel out of a love for the other. How many times when they come to that realization, tears just start flowing? When they all of a sudden see that my spouse is not just out of control and crazy, but that their, dri their driving force is out of this desire to love and to be loved. I mean, they may be going about it in ways that aren't communicating it to you. They may be missing you all entirely. You might be missing them all entirely, and you might find yourself feeling more distant than ever. But so often when you kind of work with a couple you can find that kernel of love and to be loved there. And so the more we can do internally, working on ourselves, understanding the dynamics at play in our lives that have led us to communicate, to, to relate to someone else in this way, the more whole of relationships I think that we're going to find. And so this beautiful passage, the greatest of these is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It does not envy. It takes work. It takes work. And that's why we're in an entire month series of on relationship goals, because it's not just the words that are read on the screen and proclaimed at the altar, but they're embedded in our day-to-day -day life. And it begins with a self-awareness, self-engagement, and to see that same 
in the other that we're trying to love, to see that in the other that we're trying to love. And this is why I think Paul talks about love being the greatest. It's the hardest. (laughs) But God sent God's own son to show us this love through blood, sweat, and tears so that we might find that love and we might mirror that love in the context of relationships. So I hope that you can do some work some self-care work on yourself. Praying, meditating, thinking about how do you engage in conversations, in conflict? Are you a level? If you have a spouse, a partner, or just friend, talk about that idea of leveling and editing. Who are you and how do you engage in a, in a relationship? Laugh about it. Think about it within the context of your friendship or your relationship. And then continue to pray and continue to work with someone, and maybe get a counselor. Counselors are amazing. They help me realize that one of the reasons why I get, feel anxious, right, is just the growing up, my dynamics of my household, and the way my parents manage their conflict. And so I have this feeling of anxiety if we don't fix a problem because of things I had from a childhood. And it wasn't my parents' fault because they were dealing with it in the same ways that they learned to deal with it from their parents and their community. And so all of it teaches us this thing of grace, too. Because as you realize your own issues and your own ways of engaging, you start to realize how flawed you are. And this is the same thing I say about grace. You can't extend grace without first receiving grace. So let the love of God come into you. Know yourself so that you can then love in those relationships more deeply than ever before.